0: Well, as many of you know, I'm a bit dog-crazy, and spent last week at the Westminster Dog Show. So you might guess, given the topic of the sermon today, that you will hear a little bit about one of my late great dogs. And you're right. You may also know that for 16 years I was a hospice chaplain. Over the years, I got used to the responses of folks when I told them what I did. Many people would look sad and despondent, asking me if this work wasn't depressing. Others would tell me what a special person I was for doing this work. Well, no. Neither of those descriptions fit my work and my sense of being within that work. Serving in hospice for all of those years was for me a daily blessing that helped me focus on the most important things in my world. It was a daily lesson in mindfulness and hopefulness. Those of us who choose hospice work are reminded daily that life is precious and there is nothing more immediate than the right now. A daily reminder, as my colleague Meg Bonhaus wrote, that beauty and grace are all around us, and we need to find a way to be in that beauty and grace. For me, I learned that in order to find hope and joy in a 16-year hospice chaplaincy, I must be present to that which is happening around me including the life and death of those for whom I cared. However, it wasn't easy getting to that realization. Let me tell you a story. As a Unitarian Universalist ministerial student, we are required to do what we call CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education. I went kicking and screaming into my clinical pastoral education, only to learn how much I loved it and signed up for a whole year's worth. So in my first night of my residency, overnight by myself, six of my patients died. Six. My supervisor told me that that was a record. During that month, 31 of my patients died, and my job was to respond to those deaths, to be present, to offer spiritual support to the staff and the families and the patient as they died. And I was a newbie at this. It was too much. It was just too much. And I began to respond mechanically, not being fully present, not bringing my best self, not representing what they saw as the holy. I had no time to grieve in that first month of my residency, and I was sucked into a bottomless pit of despair. I was new in this business of sickness and death. I was losing hope. I was filled with hopelessness. Here we are in the 21st century with a new administration in our White House. And please hear what I said, in our White House. It would be easy to be filled with hopelessness and despair. As Unitarian Universalists, how do we use our faith? How do we draw upon our faith to find joy, to allow that joy to be over the despair that lives in our hearts? Many of our Christian and Jewish siblings and some Unitarian Universalists take comfort and hope from the belief that a divine presence will guide us will protect us, will provide for us, will answer our prayers. Many are comfortable with the words, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But many Unitarian Universalists do not take comfort from these words. We do not see a divine presence offering us the gifts of hope and peace. Our help must come from someplace else. What vine on the shore of our faith can we use to pull us out of the muck of despair? Where do we look in times of hopelessness and helplessness? From what do we draw our strength when we must go forward with a difficult task that drains us of our physical, spiritual, and mental energy? I have learned that for me it is the gift of the present, the here and now, the gift of knowing, really knowing this moment and the call to live into it in its fullness. This is what gives me comfort and peace. The idea that even today as I stand before you, I am fully in this moment seeing you, watching you, loving you. Let me tell you another story of a man who really got it, who got the concept of living in the moment. It came at a great price for him. In my hospice work, I met this 45-year-old man, still very handsome, with a wry smile. He could not speak because of his disease. He wrote me a note that said he hadn't ordered up a chaplain, and he'd rather not see me. He wasn't the first person to do that, by the way. (laughs) He told me what was different with him is so many people said no thank you to the chaplain, thinking I would convert them or I was there for their last breath. But this man, this man told me that he only had a short time left and he had things to do and friends to see. And so he planned to use his time with his lifelong friends, some who were in the kitchen anxious to hang out with him. He didn't have time for this stranger. He didn't have time. He did not have time. This is something that I learned over and over again from those beloved souls whom I have cared for over the years. There is nothing more precious than the moment we have right now. There is nothing more valuable. There is no bigger or better cookie Then this moment with these people, right now, right here, take a moment, look around. This way of living is what fills me with hope. I feel a Unitarian Universalist theology of hope is the old thing that we've heard years ago, be here now, a theology of hope. And Unitarian Universalism has its roots in a theology of hope. Imagine the hope that filled the hearts of our Unitarian Universalist siblings, not Unitarians yet, Universalist siblings of the 1700s when they were taught believed and shared the good news that all people were chosen by their loving God to be saved and live in eternal bliss with the holy. In the mid 20th century, Unitarian Universalists from all parts of the country professed publicly a Unitarian Universalist theology of hope by standing with their African American siblings in in defiance of segregation laws. And all over the country, Unitarian Universalists worked for and believed in the right of all people to marry whomever they love. They did this in hope that all people will come to know that this is the right thing to do, in hope that people would realize love, love triumphs. In the mid-20th century, Unitarian Universalists from all parts of this country professed publicly a Unitarian Universalist theology of hope by standing with their African American brothers and sisters. For years, they stood with and they died with their African American siblings to change the laws in this country. There was a great, there was a great theology of hope working in all these events. And that hope is one that invites us to be present in the world and to each other in this moment. Even in grief and pain, even in despair and anger, we have the opportunity to live in communion with one another. This, for me, is hopeful. It is hopeful. and it confirms that I do not walk alone. Not only do we not walk alone, we walk in the loving embrace of the community and in relation with each other during good times and bad times every day. How can we Unitarian Universalists embody a hopeful faithfulness? It is an act of faith to live in the fullness of now and in the relationship of community. It is an act of hope when we take notice of and pleasure in the fullness and glory of our present place and time, whatever the circumstances. We are acting in faith when we grasp onto our present experience and live it, feel it, and celebrate it fully. We are acting in faith when we fully embrace and recognizing that we can make change For the better. Even, even while fully celebrating our world and our life for what it is now. Yeah, right, I hear you cry. I don't have time to sit around and count the blades of grass in my yard. This sounds like belly button gazing to me. The contemplative model of living in faithfulness is a process of action and reflection than reflection and action. There'll be some belly button gazing involved. The process of action and reflection is a circular practice, where one leads right into the next, where you can't do one without the other. It is a meditative process that permits us to get on with our lives, living fully and productively while paying attention, paying attention to that which is most important. I find that without this contemplative paying attention, we become unable to live out our faith with any sense of satisfaction. We become working machines. Anybody here feel like that's familiar? Working machines, uh uh-huh. Off to try to change our corner of the world helter-skelter in search in search of the bigger and better cookie. And we wonder why we are so burned out or so dissatisfied with our lives. Whether we are alone or in community, whether we are filled with joy or filled with grief, whether we are working for social change in the world or for change in our hearts, we can celebrate our faith, our theology of hope, by paying attention to that which fills us and that which surrounds us. We can stop and reflect on what it is that makes this moment, this very moment, precious. This can provide a sense of joy A sense of joy for this precious moment and it helps us to face the despair and grief of our lives and to see it from a hillside of hopefulness and in this day and age there is great despair and great hopelessness and we are called to march on into that cruel world with faith a calmness of heart soul and mind and a singleness of purpose Let me share another story with you, and let me tell you a very deep and dark secret about myself. I love to watch golf on TV. (laughs) I can sit for hours watching golfers hit long shots from the tee, hit out of the bunkers, which I call the dirt, lay up on the fairway and spend inordinate amounts of time measuring a three-foot putt. Many years ago, I, like millions of golf fans, was thrilled by the last day of the Masters Tournament. I watched with joy as Phil Mickelson walked up the 17th and 18th greens on his way to finally winning his first major. His face was radiant and as he walked along those fairways with the huge galleries cheering, he looked to his left and to his right, taking it all in. I still get chills remembering that. It was as if he was recording this memory into his mind for the rest of his life, being present in that moment. He was clearly enjoying every minute of it, even knowing he had two more holes to play. I have also watched and been thrilled by Tiger Woods, who plays a mean little game of golf. He is truly brilliant on the course, and he knows how to win just like Phil Mickelson. And Tiger has already won a wheelbarrow full of major golf tournaments. I am sure he has been proud and excited every time, but Tiger is all work. As the crowds cheer from hole to hole, Tiger keeps his head down, occasionally waving his golf club in recognition of the cheers, but clearly planning ahead, clearly thinking of the next shot or many shots. It's a champion's way of doing business. Now, I'm no Tiger Woods, but so many times I have been wrapped up in what has to be done next, in thoughts of being late, yet again, for some appointment or meeting, making lists and plans in my mind while racing off to work or to something. Who hasn't done that? One day while racing off to the Cleveland Clinic to work, I realized I could not remember seeing my backyard and my beautiful herb gardens that I was so proud of and worked so hard to grow and nurture. I had to walk straight past them to get to the garage. Phil Mickelson or Tiger Woods? I felt I had failed my faith, that I was living an unfaithful life because I was not stopping and seeing, being here now paying attention. How can I claim a theology of hope built upon a mindfulness of the beauty of the now when I let the world race past me without so much as a glance? Paying attention to the here and now is both an act of faith in hope and a way to protect ourselves from the pit of despair. Paying attention to the world around me and my place in it gives me a sense of centeredness, a sense of wholeness, and a place from which to practice contemplation, prayer, and meditation, so that I might gain strength to do the work. How do we practice this faith of hope and mindfulness? Is it easy? Heck no. It is so much easier to miss seeing the backyard planning for the day in our head, or to miss seeing the adoring, cheering, really happy for you crowds while working the golf shot in our head than it is to see, to really see. For me, I knew I needed a discipline, and so I went back to my Wampanoag roots. I remembered an old Indian ritual in which when one rises in the morning, they go outside face the East and offer thanksgiving. So simple, so grounded, so easy, so hard to do. But I began to do this every morning before leaving my backyard. In light of the pain and despair that I faced every day, I offered thanksgiving for being able to walk outside and feel the air on my face, simple things, Simple things that we take for granted and miss completely. But things that allow me to fully comprehend my backyard and to prepare my soul for the day. This for me is prayerful living. It is trusting living, trusting living. This kind of deep living is what I see in so many of the patients that I cared for so many of these people who know that they are dying grasp on to the joy of living today. This is what that man with the wry smile was telling me when he wrote me that note. It is a daily lesson to me and I have been blessed to know him and so many other gracious teachers over the years. So where might we find A living example of this art of living in the fullness of the now. I found it in the late, great Naomi Jean, my rescued Wheaton Terrier. Naomi was what some might call a bad dog. I even called her that. She was very smart, but not very compliant. And so Naomi and I spent much time in the rings of various dog obedience training centers. She was in so many classes. I told folks she was in graduate school. (laughs) And her education was more expensive than my Smith College education. We spent a lot of time in school. I would repeat command after command. And eventually she came to fully obey them right away, immediately. But in her obedience, I never had her full attention. I would touch my nose as we are taught to do and say, Naomi, pay attention, pay attention. She wouldn't even look at me. But she would sit, Heel, stand, lie down, and stay better than any dog in the class. What is she doing, I fumed, frustrated at her disinterest. Well, upon deep thinking and reflection, it occurred to me that she was doing exactly what I'm trying to do and what I'm recommending that you try. She was paying attention. She was living in the here and now, the very immediate presence. She was taking in the backyard or the adoring fans, so to speak. For her, the backyard garden in all its glory was the other 12 dogs in the ring and their human companions. If she could speak, I believe she would have been able to describe her experience in minute detail, her experience of being present, of living the fullness of the moment. In the old days, I would bring her out now and you would see her do all the things she was supposed to do while keeping an eye on all of you taking in her surroundings, paying attention in a bigger and grander way than I would have wanted her to do. Maybe she could not contemplate on her experience like we can, but she was definitely a be here now kind of dog. For Naomi, I was that bothersome human, was urging her, forcing her to watch me, to pay attention. While she was watching and paying attention, all around her, all of those dogs and people, the jubilee bubbles of joy that we should be paying attention to. This is really being here now, a way to live prayerfully and contemplatively, so that we will have the strength for whatever fight we face in our future. This may be the personal battle for good health or for the restoration of a beloved relationship. It may be a community battle to improve the lives of our neighbors and families. It may be a global battle to change injustices around the world. And like so many of the people that I met while I worked in hospice, it may be a battle to live, really live, in light of impending death. Whatever it is, it takes a fullness of being to face the battle and an enormous strength to win them. In these life events, in our pain, in our despair, and in our joy, may we, pay attention, pay attention to that which surrounds us, the beauty of each other, the beauty of the world, the beauty of the peacefulness that you may bring into your lives every day to be prepared to go out and change the world. So may it be, and amen.